Hey everyone, I'm Josh. And I'm Dan. And you found your way to the Last Vestige podcast. Named after a music store we went to in college to dig through cheap and used CDs in search of new music, each episode will take a deep dive into an album front to back. We'll share our thoughts on the music and whatever other interesting stuff we can dig up on the album, the artist, or anything else we come up with. No music theory or music experience is necessary, and no recording or genre is off limits. So whether you're making your living as a musician or just looking for a conversation to put on in the background, we hope you'll find something here for you. What started as an excuse for Dan and I to call each other and geek out on music became an excuse for us to start a podcast. Welcome to Last Vestige. On this episode, we're looking at The Man Machine by Kraftwerk. Released in 1978, it was well-regarded critically, but initially unsuccessful on the UK charts, though it did eventually reach number nine. Kraftwerk shuffled members quite a bit early on, and when they started, they were a much more straightforward band before moving into synthesizers and helping to push synth-pop to new heights. Remember, if you have questions or album suggestions for us, you can reach out to us at lastvestagepod at gmail.com. Hope you like the episode. The Man Machine, or what was it, Mensch Maschine? I'm trying to remember what it is in German, because all their stuff is also in German. Yeah. Which, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> They're very German. <laughs> that was actually something that I thought was really interesting. I thought about doing this because I've been reading, I know I talked some shit on the Gex podcast, but I did immediately think to myself that I should get some books on the history of electronic music and i have been reading them okay and Kraftwerk's a big deal i mean of course this is <laughs> this album is it came out in 78 and when i think of electronic stuff i don't think of anything before the 80s it is wild to hear a synth pop record so fully formed that came from 1978 <laughs> yeah and this isn't even their first album isn't this like their fifth yeah yeah no this is their seventh album I'm pretty sure this is their seventh album. Wiki does say seventh. It does kind of talk in the History of Electronic Music book where they weren't always doing synth pop stuff. Okay. So that was some of it. Interesting. I mean, it's still really early on to have, like yeah. you said, a fully formed synth album. Like this is just, there are still, I saw live pictures of it. It's just four dudes with synths just standing there on stage. Yep. That's kind of their shtick. And that's really interesting to think about in the late 70s. Um, and something else that kind of came up with that time period was we're in an interesting point for Germany where everybody in Kraftwerk kind of came up being taught about all of the horrors that Germany committed in World War II. Okay. Because they actually teach that over there, something that I think we could, you know take a look at doing here yeah they they teach it in great detail <laughs> so they were very focused on as you put it creating something that is very german without being nationalistic that makes sense there was i i remember learning in or listening to a podcast that talked about that was talking about nationalism and talking about a very definitive lack of nationalism in germany and how they are very very cautious about the idea of being nationalistic yeah that's 
totally fair. It, there are some pretty intense scars from that. So, yeah, it is fair. I mean, they got real nationalistic for a while, and it kind of it was not good for anybody involved. It's true. Very true. But I thought that was really interesting. That is to interesting think about too, because I didn't. I I just didn't put them in that place in my head. No, but I mean, even listening to it, it is very distinctly German. Yes. Also, American press constantly tried to link them to Nazis. Really? Um, so that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was it was hard for us to get over World War Two. Yeah, that's true. I sometimes feel like it's still hard for us to get over World War Two. I'm looking yeah. at you, Call of Duty. <laughs> But I hadn't, I mean, I remember listening to Kraftwerk a little bit in high school. I feel like you and me and Ryan and some of those guys kind of would listen to it almost mostly as like a joke. Yeah, I listened to it in that I, I guess, sort of gave it a try. Ryan yeah. and Jake, I think, were more into electronica than I was. And so they were more into Daft Punk and then mm -hmm. being into that that kind of genre went back listened to some craft work i had a hard time getting into it then or now then i yeah, same when we get to album comments i will at least say i actually really enjoyed this album same back then i don't know what craft work we tried to listen to but it was like too electronic <laughs> I remember Pocket Operator. That might have been what we listened to or what I tried to listen to. So I, I think at that time I kind of drew the line for my electronic taste at like Daft Punk's live album, their, mm. their more recent one, because it's got so much energy. And with the that with like so the good. live recording and the crowd and everything, it's just it was great. But I don't know. I like this was cool. I'm glad we took a stab at it. So Yeah. It's good to go back. I think it's kind of a nice piece with it takes a nation of millions too because this is definitely an album this is an album where you can hear what it inspired so well at this point oh yeah there's so much in this album that i heard that was making me think of other things that came after it in yeah. ways that i feel like we wouldn't have those things the same way with nation of millions how we wouldn't have a lot i mean there was a lot going on in hip-hop at the time but there was there are definitive things that come from that album. There are definitive things that come from Kraftwerk. I can see mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So I, I like this pick. Historically, I think this was a cool pick. So this was your pick. Yes. So kicking this off, I want to ask you, what are your overarching album thoughts? I really like this album. The main note that I wrote is just Kraftwerk can really write a melody. I feel like every time some of these melodies comes back, I'm like, hell yeah i can agree with that i i noted it on every song but going through it it's it's a whole album thought they do a really good job of mirroring their vocal and the melody i don't yes. know i mean i don't know if they came up with the melody by singing it and then also decided to play it or the other way around they came up with the melody and were like "Ooh, that's catchy let's put some lyrics to it either way they do it in every song oh yeah even later on like the model or neon lights songs that just have straight vocals on them the vocals and the melody that's played still mirror each other yeah they're really big fans of like singing a line and then while a synthesizer is playing it and then also having 
an instrumental break where the synth plays the same thing again without the vocals. Yeah, they also do a really cool call and response thing where it's like the melody that they play with the synth has the vocal line in it, but then there's also this continuation of it that never has vocals to it, but often, not always, but often follows on and is also really catchy, but you have no words to kind of like hang on it. And I like that. It kind of stands on its own in a cool way. I would agree with that. Also, something else I kind of forgot to bring up history wise, but like 78 is still the point when most of synthesizers look more like a wall of modular synthesizers, just knobs and wires Mm -hmm. everywhere. So like Kraftwerk is kind of, they come along at this kind of perfect point of something like the Moog coming out that's much more usable and looks more like what we think of as a synthesizer now with the keyboard bed and the controls on top kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And they they just kind of hit at this like perfect moment for that. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. You mentioned the Moog and that jogged my memory of Daft Punk's random access memories where they actually got Giovanni Giorgio. Yes. on there and i was and he specifically talks about when he was trying to come up with what is the music of the future and the moog synthesizer was what he settled into as this is the music of the future and that's when he started clubbing with that yeah and yeah. according to wikipedia it was in munich in the 70s when he started his right. own record label so the 70s were the time where it was kind of seems like electronic music was the up-and-coming punk of its time. It was, but also something that the book focuses on a lot is that actual punk. Really, anybody in rock hated this shit. Oh, I'm sure they did. Just with basically the exception of Bowie, just about everybody like turned their nose up at it. Interesting. Well, this music is not, it's musical, but in a weird way. Yeah. It's not musical oh, yeah. like the music you're used to. I mean, it's microtonal. There's all kind of like sliding, sweeping sounds in there. Yep. So I can definitely see how punk and rock and mostly everything else would hate this. Yeah. But I have yeah. some other notable things that sound so similar on certain songs that it's interesting mm-hmm. to me that there was hate for it. So I'll get there on the individual songs. But yeah. I also, I did just find it funny that Bowie was like, nah, these are good. (laughs) (laughs) You got Bowie's blessing, so fine. My only other thought on this is like, I found this album, the best way I can describe this is I found this album charming. I get that. It is sparse. Um, it, It is. It's not childish. I wouldn't say that. But it's like, there's this kind of genre immaturity that I can see in it. It is kind of now almost basic Mm -hmm. um but it's also very clearly limited by the equipment but it's really interesting to see what they did with the equipment that's what was cool this is things are changing all the time in this album yeah i mean it's important to note this album is 44 years old (laughs) yeah a lot has been developed since then. So mm-hmm. much. We're still in the 70s. This is like, oh, just th- so many different things are happening at this time. And yet we also have this, 
which yeah. is <laughs> the sound of the 80s. It's the sound of video games to come. Oh my God, like, yeah. Atari 2600 came out the year before this album. The NES oh, wow. hasn't even come out yet. Yep. Yet there are sounds in this album that are like super NES Sega Genesis sounds. Oh yeah. And I mean, there's, you see, like, you can pretty easily see like the precursor to trance in this album. Yeah, definitely. Even just in like the vibe and the, the direction the music goes in certain, at certain times or pacing or not being afraid to be repetitive without a riff. Yeah. 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 This is interesting. I'm ready to dig in. Let's do it. Hell yeah. So the robots. Do, 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 do. Immediately, Daft Punk, just you absolutely see it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so on that on that note, Daft Punk, their whole shtick is that they are robots making music. If you, mm-hmm. especially during, say, the interviews surrounding Random Access Memories with Pharrell talking about Daft Punk referring to them as the robots, um, yep. talking about how the robots are making music to teach us something. But <laughs> Kraftwerk's whole thing was it's music made by automatons or yep. robots, but automatons at the time. That it's the same thing. You're right. This is. They also didn't like doing interviews, so they generally set up mannequins. <laughs> or like I've heard stories. I like don't know how common that was, but yeah, they they were not like super fond of the press, so they would just like kind of do man like you see it on their covers too. Yeah, but or mannequins not... in like red button ups. Yeah, and immediately we get that good vocoder vocal kind of thing yeah yep i like i guess not immediately no but it's it's in there first we actually get a a little melody line played yeah but which is cool the synth we get a good slidey synth again we haven't had a slidey synth in a minute yeah i was actually gonna say there are a lot of cool inconsistencies in the slidey synth i called it a whistly percussive bit because it's somehow both whistly and like there's a percussive hit to it but the way yeah. it never really quite lands on the same pitch. Yeah, analog synthesizers, especially old ones, were kind of notorious for needing to like tune the electronics, uh-huh. basically, and they could go out of tune on you. Mm. I mean, it's cool to think through this album, like when people make music like this today, it's programmed. You can actually yeah. like you can put points on a recording and it'll hit those points. You can pitch it perfectly. It's not a guy or four guys or girls, for that matter, adjusting knobs to make music on an analog system, which is about as reliable as your grandmother or great grandmother's television (laughs) when you're trying to adjust rabbit ear antennas to get an analog signal because you don't have cable. Yep. (laughs) All of the like all of the things it's really hard now to find things to relate this to because everything is digital and digital is more precise. Yeah. Even a lot of the analog synths have a digital component somewhere in them to kind of keep them more on steady on track. Yeah. They've also just gotten better at doing that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) though. one thing that back to a musical note, um, refer to the percussive bit as mouth thumping. Okay. Because it reminds me of that, like when you open your mouth 
and like hit the sides of your mouth to make like mm. a pop 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 kind of sound i i'm not i'm gonna try it we'll see if it actually like works but yeah it's that thing where kids like open their mouth wide and like slap the sides of their face to get that percussive tonality it's mouth thumping i don't know how yeah. else to describe it but you get that and whistling at the same time, which is interesting because they're so far apart tonally mm-hmm. and, yeah. and pitch. One's really high, or not to try and talk music theory, but like one's a high whistle and the other's a low thump. Yeah. Whistles and thumps, are like you can't make those <laughs> noises at the same time. I know some of that comes down to on synths, there's a filter. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and do this in a way that makes sense for everybody, which is basically just a lot of the times kind of think of it as a wall and anything after that filter kind of gets cut off. A lot of synths, and especially Moog is like super well known for this, have something called a resonance control, where at the point it's filtering, you get a peak so that you can kind of accent something. Okay. But you can you can hear the resonance on this. Mm. They have jacked it way up i have a synthesizer where if i turn it all the way up even if i'm not playing notes my synthesizer will start to make sounds with the resonance it starts to become its own Mm. like sound source (laughs) Mm. they're not that far but that's the kind of sound that you get but a lot of the time resonance winds up coming out as like a whistly sound that makes sense on top of things because you're really spiking a frequency okay well the song's got a lot of cool sweepy whistly bits yeah it does the bass synth that comes in absolutely rocks too. It sounds so good. I can agree with that. On the vocoder vocals, I like that they roll the R's. I don't know why. Yeah. It just really stands out and I really like it. I didn't think about that. Because you could just say robots, but saying robots has this really <laughs> interesting tonality. It just sounds cool. I like it. It's nice flair. Well, and again, we're bringing in German without nationalistic German. Yeah fervor i like it uh i like the diversity of sounds across this yeah you get that really good bass synth the slidey synth there's the cool like drifting pads that come in kind of after like before the second round of vocals comes back in yeah all of that just it like every four bars something is changing a little bit they might add a couple extra notes to a melody or bring vocals in or out or bring a new synth in or out yeah they they do go through a lot of cool changes like that and it's all cohesive yes it all works together really well even though i think it's important to mention it doesn't sound stereotypically like music no in that fixed catchy way there's just a lot of atypical music stuff going on yeah i like the uniqueness of it It's interesting, right? I remember taking a music history class and one of the things that kind of I got really into was they were talking about the history of classical music and like Baroque music. And we went through a cycle of things have to be really precise and things have to be really show-offy, but still precise. And then the immediate slap back to that style of music was, no, we're not going to be as precise. It's not going to be as technically competent. It's going to be folk songs and it's going to be like more easy for everybody to play and i was like this is punk yeah and it we've just been having that cycle so i love that out of punk comes this band that is just you know like you were saying it sounds like what if robots made some music yeah it is but the other thing is the not 
typical music or something that doesn't inherently seem musical being used to make music is a pretty standard thing too. If it didn't work, we wouldn't have stomped. Mm. Like banging on a trash can and drumming on a streetlight can be music. Yeah. Doug funny. <laughs> it works really well if you commit to it and still, I guess, put a lot of love and care into crafting something. No pun intended. Yeah. And I think that's I what was that. done here was synthesizers are used a lot as in a supporting role, but yes. here they're front and center. Four oh, of them. It's all of it. Yeah. Did you listen to this in headphones at all? I assume you did. Yes. But... I listened to it in the way that I casually or most people casually listen to music as of late. So it's with earbuds, but I deep dive. So yeah. <laughs> it like doesn't really make sense. I'm doing an audiophile <laughs> exercise with subpar audiophile equipment because <laughs> I'm just yeah. using my Apple earbuds or my AirPods. Um, but yeah, that's how I listened to it. I picked up on the bass synth stuff. I could hear those. I like that. But mm -hmm. it definitely wasn't pristine quality. Yeah. I mostly asked just because I was surprised with how separated some things are in this song mm -hmm. not well, this whole album really you get a lot of stuff that's like only in your left or only in your right not hard like all the way out to the sides kind of thing mm -hmm. but like only in my right probably like halfway yeah there's definitely that and i think that helps to add some clarity yeah there's good separation in it and sometimes things fade yeah. back and forth a little bit but there isn't too much of that Fading. It's not like a Pink Floyd album where, oh, yeah. where you have something pan hard left to hard right and then back across to give you that dizzying running across feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's got a lot of clarity to it, which might partly mm -hmm. be a product of being a synth album. You don't have yeah. to worry so much about miking equipment up or anything because i know sometimes that's where you lose the clarity is when in in the production process i've never mic'd drums but i imagine it's a challenge yeah it can be yeah miking guitars is to some people an art and a science and to other people an annoyance and they just throw a mic in front of it and move along and we've gotten amazing albums from both so i have no idea what the right way to do it is but yeah i like this song it was cool it's it's a good start. Yeah. I do think you could probably cut it at like four minutes, 40 seconds. I agree. It goes on a little longer and I don't really feel like it needs to. It's this this album. So I listened to this album deep dive. I also threw this album on while just doing some work outside. And for a casual background music listen, it was great. Yeah, no, it's really good for that. It didn't feel too long. But outside of that, when you just sit and listen to it, it's too long. So, yeah, not by much no, either. By a hair. I think that's the thing that gets me. So I'm good to move on to track number two. I am as Which well. is Space Lab. And I think Space Lab starts out like the intro to a space-based or space-influenced Super Nintendo game. Ooh. Yeah, I could see that. Like something like Earthbound. Like it's spacey, mm -hmm. but it's not serious space. Like we're not, <laughs> it's not Halo. We're not shooting aliens here. 
but yeah. it's this is the sound of that charming playfulness that I really like throughout the album. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like like a 70s sci-fi show. It does. It does. You know, it sounds like old Doctor Who <laughs> soundtrack. Yeah. Yes, it does. Like pre-reboot. Yeah, I really like how this song has a lot of drifting. It does. Sounds. The other note that I made was that this is simple, but it conveys electronic and sci-fi grandiose for this time period. There's just yes. something about yeah. it that really does elicit the feeling of space. <laughs> yep. I love both the sound of the main melody synth in this and just something about this melody is so good. It is. I agree. After the rising synths in the beginning, though, I got really mm. strong Pink Floyd on the run vibes. Oh, I can On the run off yeah. dark side is... It has a lot of synth sounds in it. And that's that's yeah. a song that does that hard pan left to right and back across. This song isn't as intense as that because that song is like you're being chased in, in yeah. a, an Asimov book. But it's, I don't know, there's just something synth-wise that reminded me of that. But it's noteworthy that Dark Side of the Moon came out in 73. So even okay. in rock, synths were being used similar to this but like i said they played more of a supporting role that's a concept album the synth is front and center for this track but not really throughout the rest of the album in that way but we still had it and we still saw some potential from it before this yeah but this is just more a bit upbeat because of the the soaring overtones that exist in the song yeah there's some nice whistly flying sounds throughout and this song is really so It is. It is. It's cool. It is. I'm a fan. Yeah. More vocal mirroring. More vocal mirroring. This was another one where I was like, oh, this is not not early period Daft Punk. We're not talking like homework or something, but I could definitely see like Tron legacy era Daft Punk doing some the stuff. The like influence this. is there. The influence is noteworthy. Yeah. You know, interesting drop on vocal mirroring. Um, that I immediately thought of, but it's really just based on time and relation to another video I saw. There's a YouTube music guitar personality, Paul Davids, who just put out a video. So this will timestamp when we're recording this. If you note that I said just put out a video, that is the like 10 easy guitar solos that you need to learn just so you can learn solos. Okay. And one of them is the Smells Like Teen Spirit solo. And if you think mm, about it, the yeah. Smells Like Teen Spirit solo is just Kurt playing the vocal. That's yeah. it. But it's great. Yeah. It fits it's so really well. Because you know it. You can sing the solo. And yeah. that kind of idea is peppered throughout this album. But it was just interesting it for really me. Yeah. It's still a very prevalent, you can hang your hat on it, musical mm -hmm. occurrence. Oh, 100%. Which is just interesting and cool yeah. to see. But yeah, so the vocal mirroring in this is cool to see constantly coming up. And it's so catchy. It is. It's super catchy. Yeah, this melody, it like hits a chord change that I don't expect or I didn't expect the first time I heard it, mm -hmm. I feel like. And that kind of helps keep it fresh. Like it gets darker than you think it would for a Agreed. second while not being 
not being full minor, like sad, dark, scary. Sad. So I noted this halfway through the song, you get kind of a bridge. You do get that change. And there's one synth that starts playing a, just a pulsing note that almost sounds like an yeah. alarm. I wrote that too. That's exactly what I wrote. I was like, it sounds like like a countdown pulse. I really pulse dig it. I wasn't thinking a countdown pulse. I was more thinking like if you're on a space station and you have an emergency, like you have a leak mm. or something and you just start getting yeah. that pulsing er, 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 over your intercom. That's what it made me think of. And I thought yeah. it was a really cool kind of fitting thing. And they have they move past it, but it hangs out for a bit. And then the song gets lighter it again. Does. It kind of kind of like becomes strings eventually. Yeah, I can agree with that. It like transitions into strings and then like that same kind of pulse just gets carried over. It just softens. And then it. yeah, and then the melody yeah. comes back. Also, I know they're saying space lab, but to me it always mm -hmm. sounds like they say space land. Yeah. Which might be a, a vocoder hang up in terms of the clarity. I could see that. But it always sounded like they were saying space land. And yeah, my wife's comment was, this song feels like something you would hear in line for Space Mountain. I'm not <laughs> sure I disagree with that. I No, I don't. But I, I think this song's my favorite song on the album. Mm. Still, the something about that melody just hits really good for me. I might agree with you. I might. We'll see. I I have noticed when we talk through these, sometimes mm -hmm. it helps me mentally resort my thoughts. And and I kind of mm -hmm. dig deeper in on some of the things. I, through talking about it, realized some of the things that were more important to me or more noteworthy. It's like yeah. how talking through Nonagon Infinity had me realize I like the album more than i let on mm -hmm. so i will say i really like this track but i'll wait until the end to determine whether or not it's actually my favorite track on the album that's fair yeah i wrote that after a couple listens through this is the one i usually wound up kind of coming back melody wise for. it's cool this has a very accentuated call and response bit for me because there's the space lab and then there's the whistly follow-on to it yeah and I liked that. I thought that was cool. And then it kind of descends. You get the space lab bit, which is kind of floaty. And then it kind of descends into more tension and then lifts itself back out. Mm -hmm. I did like it. This track is musically really well done. There's yeah. good musicality to it. There's kind of cool imagery that it creates. There's cool yeah. stuff going on. And I can really say that this is kind of a, a foundational piece to the next decade of space thing. I think I can firmly say that. Yeah, I would agree with that. This is another one that just layers up super nice. And oh, that pulsing synth comes back again in the outro. Oh, okay. I didn't note that. I noted that there's more filtered semi-percussive mouth thumping sounds. I did note that. Oh, yeah. But yeah, they like that sound. Yeah. The only other note I have on this song is, especially after listening through this album a few times and then like taking deep notes on it, the fact that this is just mm -hmm. four guys playing synths and playing mm -hmm. this kind of interplay and all of these lines, some of which start weaving, some stay the same, but some kind of wildly deviate. It's 
just fantastically impressive. It is. If you've ever worked with somebody in a team fashion, sports or otherwise, this comes across as synchronized swimming. There's a lot of really cool yeah. weaving stuff going on, but nobody's stepping on anybody's toes. It's a dance. Yeah. It's a synth dance, and it's cool. <laughs> synth dance. Sounds like a weird electronic like parody. Synth dance. <laughs> or a Greendale event. Yeah. I think I'm just a sucker for a, like, a long melody. Understandable. Like, not so much a four-bar riff, but one where every time the melody comes back, it's going to do something different and like eventually resolve over like 16 bars but it's not just going to be like a four bar thing that might change up now and again yeah that's that's always a more ambitious undertaking yeah it really is it's hard to pull off yeah and i think this one has a good amount of the melody has a nice amount of space i can agree with that they're not just kind of like loading everything up here yeah and as far as as track length at Six minutes or just shy of six minutes. This one doesn't feel as slightly too long as the robots. Yeah, I didn't think so. The robots, and there's one other one that I felt like kind of really overstayed its welcome, sort of. We'll get there. I can agree with that. I know where you're going and we'll get there. But the songs on this album Um, overall are a lot longer than I expected. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to say it's a short album. There's not many tracks on this album. Especially when we came off one that was had like, what, 17 yeah. tracks? It's six tracks, but it's 36 minutes yeah. long. It's an average of six minutes a track. Many of the tracks yep. are about six minutes. One of them decides to steal some time from yes, another. Does. So there's that. Yeah. Um, but back to a focus on the songs and talking about layering, I think that idea of layering is a good transition into track three metropolis because it starts with just layering the imagery that it brought to mind for me was like a robot juggernaut booting up you're just slowly Hmm. powering up sections and and systems in this thing and they're slowly layering and building with these firing where it it hits the note and then it sweeps up. Yeah. I mean, so they're like paying some homage to the 1926, 27, I think 27, like Fritz Lang film Metropolis. Okay. The one with the, you've definitely seen the robot for it from it at the very least. But I think they're really going for that kind of like, I always think of like art deco cityscapes and wanting to really show that immense skyscrapers you know that makes sense i just looked up the robot and i know what you're talking about now it looks a little dr manhattan it does yeah i also kind of called out the chords that just like hit and then slid up while there's still like a steady pulsing yeah too they they always want you to have a pulse in this album for sure i like it the robots want us to have pulse it's a super dramatic. It is. Opening, I like that they hit the note and they hold it before sweeping. It's not just yeah. sweeping. The a good contrast is Space Lab is just sweeping. It's it's yes. kind of pulse sweeping, but this is hit and then it slow rolls into the sweep and then kind of takes off. I liked that. Yeah. But then yeah. as it moves into the song. You earlier mentioned 
Daft Punk and and the Tron soundtrack, but I think very noticeably is... when this song takes off, it sounds like the entire foundational riffing of the Tron Legacy soundtrack. Oh yeah. And I don't mean that like a bad thing. I actually No. On my notes listen through, I stopped this song at this point and quickly thumbed through the entire Tron Legacy soundtrack to see if I could find an almost direct lift, and it doesn't exist. But it's definitely close enough for me to say this is what Daft Punk was trying to channel in making that soundtrack, which makes sense. Tron being an 80s movie, Tron Legacy trying to call back to all of that. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. And this being kind of a their idea of a soundtrack not like a soundtrack for the movie because it's not that long but i mean it's already a synth band doing like a soundtrack track for metropolis sci-fi movie and then daft punk is doing a soundtrack for a sci-fi movie yeah you know which just a notable thing that i thought about listening to this and then like i said quickly rifling through that soundtrack. It is really cool hearing an orchestra play electronic music line. Yeah. It's this interesting full circle thing where, you know, we moved to synthesizers because one, you could synthesize strings, but then we kind of took it to the next level and made them do crazy stuff that strings and whatnot couldn't do. But then we took it back and decided, well, what if we figure out a way to play that anyway mm-hmm. yeah it's really cool seeing it kind of come back around yeah. like that but we're not here to praise that album we're here to praise this album another thing that this yeah. made bring my wife back into it she thought of was you know because i immediately went to daft punk with this as did you mm-hmm. my yeah. wife did not listen to daft punk in high school and tells me she hasn't seen tron Legacy. This made her think of Stranger Things, which was also interesting, but checks mm. out. It's a show set in the 80s. And they're clearly going for an 80s synth vibe. Yeah, yeah, in the intro, definitely. And so when she said that, even though it wasn't my go-to, I immediately agreed and thought yeah. to myself that this does sound a lot like that, too. Yeah. But it's a cool track. I'm a fan. I like it. it yeah. This was the other one that I was thinking could potentially be a contender for favorite song off the album more from the standpoint of what I feel like it created. There's just a Mm. feel to this song that is very prevalent moving forward musically. Yeah. I noted that this one has the same kind of chord changes I noted on bass lab where they don't go full minor, but it's, it's not like where a pop song would go now, Mm -hmm. I guess. And it it's not full minor, but it is like a darker sound that comes Yeah, in. I kind of noted that as a, a quote-unquote breakdown. Because they bring some yeah. slow sweeps back in. They, I mean, the yeah. only words on this track are Metropolis. On the track Metropolis. This is not a lyrically dense no, album. <laughs> but they still mirror the vocals. They Every do. track, gotta do it. Can't escape it. Yeah. But that, I, I think this track has historical significance. I do. It just has a feel that replicates or so many other things replicate. 
past this that i i couldn't overlook that i get that it gave me retroactive um, nostalgia <laughs> oh that's great like i should have been feeling nostalgic for this song when when yeah. coming across all the other things and i wasn't because i mm-hmm. didn't know it but now i get it it's a yep. it, it's it's foundational in that way it really is as soon as you listen to it, you could definitely hear what a bunch of other people yeah. are pulling from. If we titled the episodes beyond just titling them the album, I throw retroactive nostalgia. I like that. That's what it feels like. It's, yeah. It does. I love the cool break with the percussion drops out a bit, and then you actually get some cymbal use beyond just like kind of mm-hmm. hats, and it's like a crash cymbal just gets very dramatic again yeah they're good at that they are they're very good at that considering the like semi-limited technology at the time too you know you can't make 80 million layers at this point no and you have to be able to perform it Mm -hmm. or people have to be able to do this i think they were very cognizant of that when making this because probably you know there are some people that get into music production and they do a lot of stuff that just can't be done live Mm-hmm. Niall Rogers is kind of a good example for that. The guitar parts that he plays on Chic songs like La Freak are physically impossible to play live because he he plays two distinct guitar parts and then layers them to sound like one guitar playing. I didn't know that. He on La Freak what he's doing is a there's a funk technique called chucking where you you mute okay. your strings and you strum to get that percussive clack clack sound um mm-hmm. and to give some context i feel like niall rogers has a very important place in this whole discussion because niall rogers and his guitar playing was pretty paramount in daft punk's random access memories album mm. niall rogers and that disco vibe along with that electronica yep. vibe made that album much more catchy and palatable, I think. But so they really wanted Niall on that. So bringing it back to his guitar playing, he will mostly mute the strings so you get that rhythmic percussive scrape while also spreading mm-hmm. individual notes. So in Le Freak, the riffing distinct notes you hear are him chucking mm-hmm. and playing those notes. But at the same time, he has another guitar part where he's playing chords and he's quickly muting them, but he's strumming the chords and he's doing it all in the same spot on the guitar. So it sounds like one guitar is doing it, but what he's doing is playing a mm. chord while also individual note outlining the chord. And then he layers them huh. together to get the distinct left freak sound. Huh. And so he's even, he's openly that. said it. it. It's impossible to play the song on the recording live. I mean, you could have hmm. two guitarists play it and get yeah. it, but when yeah. he plays it live, he plays this kind of Frankenstein variation of it that also sounds good. And that kind of harkens back to that idea of when you play a song live, it being live makes up for some of the deficiencies of playing it live some of the lacking parts and so if you hear niall rogers outlining the chord to you that's le freak when you lose Mm -hmm. that 
also portal kind of baseline foundationy bit to it you won't notice yeah because everybody around you is screaming and you're dancing and it's great everyone's having a good time they're singing it all kind of blends yeah but yeah that's cool so that's the thing bringing it back to craft work i think that when they were doing this when they're making this music they're four guys with synths they could have started layering things to get eight different synth parts 12 different synth parts mm-hmm. they could have made it wild but they wouldn't have been oh, yeah. able to play it live yeah. a b i think in some ways this album is already orchestrated chaos there are hmm. sometimes even though we say it's sparse there are some things that are really busy on this. yeah yeah i guess you're right it feels sparse for now i guess yeah but when you start getting whirs and whistles and you can you know a lot of held notes out while you're also getting these crazy climbing like rising and falling note bits it can get really chaotic Mm -hmm. but it doesn't i think they they ride the line really well yeah they do so that's my tangent feeling (laughs) a little called out as somebody who likes to layer a bunch of weird like noise texture you know there's nothing wrong with that because i think it's one of those things that adds this cool flair to the album version or the recorded version but gives you space to do something cool live that people aren't expecting it's Mm. one thing if you make your production the centerpiece but if you use the production to fill the song out for the recording but then use the space to do something different and interesting live it makes you a more compelling live act in that way too i think Again, to use Muse as an example, Muse is phenomenal live, but their songs sound different live too. That's true. Because Muse does a lot of production, especially on their later albums. And there's a lot of stuff. You could just play a a track. You could have half your song be playing and just play over it, but they don't do that. Instead, they do a lot of really interesting, cool musical stuff in the space. Yeah. So. Man, we have gone, I have taken us way off base on music tangents, but it's all been good. fun because I think this shows a lot of connectedness amongst all of it. It really does. Music yeah. is one big, connected, wonderful web in my oh, brain. It absolutely is. But that's all my thoughts on Metropolis. Yeah, I'm good to move on to the model. I am also good to move on to the model. This is another one where they do a really good job with the playing a line and then singing it afterwards and then playing the next line. Yeah, it's done a lot on this track. And this is the first track that has vocals, but not vocoder vocals, just vocals. Right. Yeah, like vocal vocals. My first thought on this track is this feels definitively different from the other tracks on this album. Now, this was the second single off the album. The first single was The Robots. But Mm -hmm. this song feels like a single from the outset. It's very much the most straightforward pop song we've had so far. It is, and it's in timing the closest we've come to a pop song. It's only three minutes and 40 seconds long. It's easily the shortest song on the album. This is Mm -hmm. the song that you could say had all of its time stolen. (laughs) But... It yeah. fit in this little time segment. It fits. If you oh, were to really serve does. up any of these songs as a single, this is the one I'd pick. 
unless you want to trim yeah. down another one for a radio edit. But this one just feels catchy and it has real vocals. Unlike the others, mm -hmm. it, this tells a story, kind of. Yeah, it's still pretty sparse with the lyrics, but it isn't just like a line repeated. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote it's the closest thing to a straightforward pop song, which is saying something because it's still very much not that. I can agree with that. Yeah, they do a lot of like melody embellishments in this one that I really enjoyed too. There's like an octave jump they wind up doing and stuff like that. Like again, it's something's always going to kind of move around. Yeah. There's songs. a nice little after the vocals, they kind of trail off into a little synthy solo that soars yep. kind of up and that's fun. I did note that yeah this song almost sounds a little creepy only yeah. from the standpoint of lo like lost in translation mm -hmm. i don't think it's meant to be creepy at all i really don't i think it's a photographer who took note of this model that he thought was attractive and kind mm -hmm. of drawing and then later on saw her in an ad because she blew up and he was like huh I would like to see her again. Yeah. But but it does come across. The, yeah, there are some lines that just sound kind of creepy. Yep. Then he says it only takes a camera to change her mind because he notes that she doesn't smile much. Also, there's a thing. It is the most. Why don't you smile? More? Yeah. <laughs> That's cringy. And then there's another one yeah. talking about rich men wanting to buy beauty. Mm hmm. Yeah. But I. Like I said, I don't think it's meant to sound creepy. It just... It kind of comes across that way, but I don't... Yeah, it's hard to tell how much was yeah. intended. But like I said, translation can be tricky also. Do you know yeah. the track names also appear in German as single release names? Do you know if the tracks were in German also? I believe that there are German versions okay. of them. So that could have some impact on it. So. Yeah. Because, yeah, as far as language goes, there's never a direct translation. But I like this track, too. I, there are no tracks on this album that I really have gripes with. This one fits well. I think it has its own unique seat at the table of this album. Yeah, I'd love that, like, screaming synth that they end, in, end it with. I can agree with that. It's a cool kind ending. Of like yeah. held note that it just kind of soars up and then just chills there. Yep. Yeah, it's cool. Moving on to Neon Lights. Yeah, Neon Lights, you know, every time this track starts, I can't help but be reminded of Mr. Blue Sky by Electric Light Orchestra. All right, yeah. The pacing you. is a little quicker. Yes. But ELO, which this Mr. Blue Sky specifically is, has picked up a lot of prominence because it's on the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. And for every every couple months or so, it seems like that soundtrack hits a resurgence and you just hear it everywhere because it's a good collection of catchy well-known songs and so i yeah. think that's why elo's mr blue sky was sitting right at the front of my brain but that song came out the year before this album oh okay. and the intro to mr blue sky is piano but it's before it really launches into the song the intro intro mm -hmm. the first couple seconds is heavily filtered and so it almost yeah. sounds like this song. And I thought it was interesting because it shows some musical this and that 
like I said, the synth bit from On the Run by Pink Floyd, it shows some really notable musical similarities between this outsider style and all the music of that time period. Not all of it, but some some notable music. But this song... Kind of a big thing. Yeah, and this song starts... I mean, the, the song doesn't continue in a similar vein. Mr. Blue Sky has a bunch of other musical things come in that don't sound like the musical things that come in on this song, but that pulsing, quick staccato piano bit, that punchy hangs out on both songs. Yeah. And I think it's just the 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 way it carries the song is noteworthy. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of the most upbeat song that we get on the album, I feel like. I can agree with that. I think I even mentioned that somewhere in here. There's no like darker chord changes in this, which it I'm here for those, but it's always interesting to see when they don't do it. Yeah, it was cool to have the lighter track and see what they do with it. There are some some things that could sound dark that could have been used in a darker track that they used here. Mm-hmm. Notably, the I called it the falling biao sound. <laughs> yep. I didn't know how else to describe it, but it, it starts high and just plummet. Yeah. But it's really cool and it could sound really menacing in a different context. Yeah. <laughs> but here, yeah, it definitely can. Here it kind of adds lift somehow. Yeah. It kind of helps to propel everything else. And that's great. This song also has normal yeah, really vocals, cool. the vocals are unaffected. Yeah, and I actually like the lyrics in this one quite a bit. I think they kind of just give a nice atmosphere. They paint a nice picture in this one. I can agree with that. The atmosphere and the tonality of the song all interlace really well. Yeah. I wrote it has a good vibe. Kind of a plucky synth that I really liked in it. And then my notes get to, oh God, there's five more minutes of this song. I had that exact thought when I was listening to this (laughs) on the deep dive. That was the first time I noticed how long the song was. I never noticed it any other time. Same. It's a very long but song. But I, I hit four minutes and I looked down and thought to myself, what can they possibly do with the other four minutes? And I was then and shown the, not that much. Yes and no. I think it builds to a really cool place. Okay, I can agree with that. I don't know that it needed five minutes to get there (laughs) but i think by the end of it i was like this has gotten to a point that's really cool yeah so before that even they start to bring in this really cool delay filled chimey solo that i think Mm, adds some sparkle it's fitting and yeah it adds some shine to it and then it just kind of riffs for a bit a really good bit yeah very long but i feel like that place that you're you're talking about where it gets to which i agree with is when they start to bring in what almost sounds like sampled ahs it sounds yeah oral and then i started to notice it started to drift more towards the whistly high-pitched synth and i couldn't Mm -hmm. it almost had me doubting whether or not it was ever ahs to begin with (laughs) or if it was just Pitch shifting. They do really like kind of transitioning one sound into yeah. another. 
but it was cool yes. because it added an almost like angelic choir to it yes which was which we haven't yep. seen anywhere else on the album so no. getting there was a cool breath of fresh air but i could cut about four minutes out to get there yeah i do think it's interesting to think about the outro to the song in terms of like house music or trance music, something mm -hmm. like that. Because I bet you in the club at, at the time, or, you know, at the warehouse rave, if they were doing that in the <laughs> 70s, that would have been really cool. I can agree with that. It would just give you time to just settle into it. Yeah. So I guess I, I like it for where it goes to, and I like it for, I guess what it shows is coming in electronic music. Yeah. But if I was going to do another, I'm just going to sit and listen to this album, but I listen to the whole like bit of it. No, no, I would probably get into it a little bit and then skip to the end <laughs> where it gets that cool makes again. Sense. That makes a lot of sense. This has me thinking back more about the, my bit about Niall Rogers, because one thing that he specifically has said he did in Chic, which says Chic with Le Freak came out in 78 also. Interestingly notable. Oh. Uh, he added space in song. They would have spots that were just music and were kind of repetitive, which were specifically for dance. Mm. It's the disco thing. Yeah. And so we think about warehouse raves, free glow sticks, and maybe that's what the space was for. Maybe they were experimenting with that idea i could see it i did read a book on the history of disco and disco is not what we think of it today there was like amazing developments made in venue sound system basically mm. for disco because everybody wanted to have you know the best sounding thing because everybody wanted to like just get into the music and yeah. dance. and the best way to do that was to just really Feel the music, you know, feel it. But yeah, that's where you start getting like 12 inch cuts of one single on a 12 inch record <laughs> kind of thing. It's such a wild also thought. just that's so long hedonistic as hell. But yeah, this song's interesting to me because it really does feel like very, very, very proto house or something like that. Yeah. Okay. It's not fully formed yet, but you can see where somebody heard something like this and was like, oh, yeah, because like we talk about with albums like this, we have to put ourselves in that time. That time is not this time. There are a lot of things that have happened since mm -hmm. then that at this time haven't happened yet musically. So a lot of what we're seeing was new and was just being tried at that time. Yeah. So, yeah, I can see this being a house music influence. Somebody heard it and whatever state that they were in just really got into into the groove of this song and yeah. was like i don't ever want this to end man what if we just did this for a it's... whole album <laughs> and i mean i think there's something for like a house or a trance tracks like having a bit more tempo really kind of helping it get over that like oh god there's five minutes left in the song what are you doing yeah yeah i could see that so i don't know i like i said it's not really like my favorite song but i kind of really like it for the i don't want to say the artifact that it is because i think it's a good song in its own right but it's more interesting to me for like what it makes me think of coming after this i guess yeah 
I get that. It's similar to what I was saying with Metropolis. It definitely influenced something. It has yeah. its place in the hall of music, the halls of history. Are you good to move on to? I the am. Man I am good to move on to the Man Machine. It is the final track of the album. Mm-hmm. Also, the title track of the album. Yes. And so I noted on this something about the intro, even though it's not the the same. Something about this intro mm-hmm. made me think of "Shout" by Tears for Fears. Okay. I don't. I went in a very different direction. Just the just the percussion intro. I don't know okay. if it was the pacing of the percussion or what, because the tonality doesn't match up. Tears for Fears "Shout" has like a bicycle bell and like a a tinny kind of hit, but mm-hmm. the sparse percussive intro something about it kind of immediately kicked that thought in into my head and that song doesn't come out until 1985 off of the album songs from the big chair i can't directly say it influenced it but it's interesting music music timeline wise that seven year gap for songs to start being influenced by this or what came from this yeah so it just seemed kind of noteworthy in my mind so where'd you go with it i wrote good morning hyrule (laughs) (laughs) okay it sounded very video gamey to me that's not far off from this album specifically this song so and yeah it just i don't it just immediately made me think zelda (laughs) i'm okay with that do love me some zelda yeah I was going to say, I noticed at following this that the song had a heavier bass feel to me than some of the other tracks, which might mm. not be accurate, but something about this, the bass stood out to me a little more than on other tracks. Yeah, It might be because of the breathing room that's in this track specifically. I felt this track there is a had lot. more space than the other tracks. And so that might have given the yeah. bass more because the bass was still prevalent. So it might have given the bass more time to shine through. I could see that. I do really like the drum beat when it kicks in. And I kind of I wrote like, how is this song so funky and kind of spent a minute doing a time count and everything is on beat. Hmm. They're not really off beat, but it still feels funky. It might be the I don't want to call it pacing but mm-hmm. the layout of the song because the song even when it's on beat it kind of stutters it doesn't sit yeah. still very long and then when no. it stutters it stutters in a very unmusical way which kind of like shutters the the whole system even more i like that that's a good way of putting it but i i liked it it felt a lot less congested than the other songs not that the other songs felt congested in a bad way this this makes the other song seem congested mm. in a way i didn't think until yeah. i heard this song i get that i do think they're doing less layering and stuff like that yeah i'd loved the super low i guess going back to your point about it being bassy the very low vocoder and this was interesting yeah i agree with that it is really low it sneaks in and it sounds like a bass mm-hmm. When it first comes in and then it starts 
saying words and you realize it's not just a bass synth. Yep. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting touch. I like so they do this kind of like blooming bass too when the bass comes in, especially mm-hmm. before the what I'm just gonna describe as when the song kind of shudders or stutters mm-hmm. with some boops and such. The mm-hmm. bass kind of like hits and blooms and then cuts. Yeah. And it almost does like yeah. a wow kind of bloom. I think I also wrote a wow it's sound. A wow sound. Or something similar to that. It's funny. That's really funny it's trying a... to attribute like words to to things like that. Yep. <laughs> I was just about to say it's a bit an album where we're having to come up with the onomatopoeia <laughs> for a synth sound, which is hard to yeah. do, it turns out. So I've got the other notable things, the other things that I that just really stood out to me on this track were really sound effects. Mm. This this track, I think some of the focal points of this track are things that to me can only be described as the sounds of video games. Yep. There's a boing sound that sounds like you hit a spring pad in Sonic. Mm. Or like when you get hit by an enemy, but you don't have any rings left, mm-hmm. so you die. Yep. Um, and then there's another sound that is like you unlock a space station door. Okay. It it happens at the same time that there's this sparkle sound. There's like a mm. boom, boom kind of sound, or maybe like you run through the checkpoint in Sonic. There are a lot <laughs> of Sonic sounds on this song, uh, which is. Very funny because, as you said, this is before the NES, much less the the, the Genesis kind of Sega console. Yeah, it's interesting, but they're just so noticeable. It's weird. When were arcade machines? They were eighties, but when did they start to pop up? They must have been late seventies. A Pong machine was seventy-two. It looks like okay. The Sega Genesis release date in Japan was nineteen eighty-eight. Okay. So we didn't get Sonic the Hedgehog until 10 years after these sounds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this comes out the same year Space Invaders does. Basically. Okay. So okay. we're still ahead of Pac-Man, Missile Command, and Donkey Kong. Hmm. But the arcades and sounds kind of like that were the 70s. Yeah. So it's fitting. This is just all so interesting. It's fitting. It does feel maybe not like super ahead of its time, but definitely like a couple years ahead of its time, I guess. I can agree with that. It feels a little early. Yeah. But it makes this song interestingly different. Oh, yeah. It has sounds on it that are more akin to a, like a sound effects soundboard instead of just our standard beeps and whirs and whistles and R2-D2 noises. Yeah, and I think to contrast this with last time, there's something about the sounds that feels so of a time that it's a little easier to like get in the headspace for it, at least for me. Because mm-hmm. I think we talked a lot last time about you know having to kind of get into the right headspace for It Takes a Nation of Millions. And this one, I think I found the headspace easier to get to. I can agree with that. It might be in part to... Well, for me, being more familiar with the like what comes after this. Mm -hmm. But I guess I shouldn't say that because, well, yeah, the things that it takes a nation of millions influence were still not so 
influential on what I listened to when I was younger. Hmm. Whereas I feel like this impacted a lot more of what I was close to. Yeah, I guess in some ways, too, it feels like like I was talking to Matt about this the other night. It feels like it takes a nation of million. He described it as still feeling like old school hip hop and kind of like one of the last ones in that category Mm -hmm. in a way. Whereas this, like because it's electronic, I guess it's a little harder to place a time on that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not like a direct generation line of like, oh, this is old school hip hop. This is old school electronic. Yeah, I could see that. I think it might also be that this part of the 80s, because this is coming into the 80s, this influenced the 80s, is mm-hmm. pretty forefront in culture right now. Mm. You think about Stranger, Stranger Things. things. And music right now, like yeah, Dua Lipa and The Weeknd and other artists are really 80s is a big thing right now. And so it might be really easy or easier to put yourself in an 80s headspace when you're kind of already there. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. But I appreciated this album. I like this choice. I thought this was a a really interesting choice. I enjoyed listening to it. All electronic music now sits a little differently with me. Yeah, that's fair. Also, I still feel like this music is a little, especially at the time, is a little too weird for other people to just be out doing it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's unique. It has its own character. Four of them, and they're automatons. Yep. Well, cool. Yeah, this was good. I think that's a good rep. I I agree. Yeah, I had fun with this album. It was cool. I really appreciated listening to it. It was a fun choice. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening. We know everybody asks you to do this, but if you could subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice, or even just tell a friend that you think would be interested in checking us out, It really does help. So thanks very much in advance for that. If you have suggestions, you can email us at lastvestigepod at gmail.com. Thanks very much. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.